Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Elk Hunting. Corey Jacobson and Elk 101 have put together a fully comprehensive course, an online course that has covered everything elk hunting from the planning stages through fitness, gear, elk calling, elk behavior, how to get the elk out of the woods, every single process, whether you're a beginner or you're an elite level elk hunter. And Corey is offering up 20% off his course by using the code East Meets West at checkout. So check that out over at elk101.com. Click on the University of Elk Hunting and check that out. In addition, Heather's Choice has created backcountry meals and I guess for traveling, hunting, hiking, any, any sort of outdoor activities has created these meals that are high in fats and proteins, uh, healthy, gluten-free, dairy-free nutrition option uh, for those that, you know, care about what you're putting into your body. I mean, it's, you know, said a lot, but whatever you put in is what you're going to get out as far as levels go of uh, performance. So Heather has offered up the listeners here free shipping on any orders over $99 by using the code East meets West. And if you just wanted to try out of, you know, a few pack rooms or some breakfast or uh, dinner options and it's under $99, still go over to our website under the partners page and click on the link that we have there. It would definitely help show us some support. And lastly, Maven optics. So Maven has created a company that through the direct-to-consumer business model, is able to put out the highest quality optics at half the price of their competitors. Maven's new S2 spotting scope will be with me in my pack and doing some glassing this year in Idaho. I'm going to a little bit more open country, a little bit different environment than I'm used to. Going to rely on the glass a little more in this small, lightweight, packable spotting scope that weighs only two pounds will be uh definitely with me this year so check out maven if you interested in picking up a pair of their binoculars spotting scopes or the rifle scopes you can use the code east meets west dash gift and you get a free gift with any of your orders so check that out all right so as far as news go got a few few updates this week uh, first and foremost, I will be at the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Muster on the Mountain this weekend in Pennsylvania. It's kind of like their East Coast rendezvous. There'll be music, beer, food, uh, Backcountry Olympics that they're having. I'll have a booth set up there with some apparel. And also, I'm going to be doing some sort of, a, not sure exactly how it's going to be structured, but a speaking event on scouting and hunting mountain bucks so there'll be a bunch going on doing some podcasts just a lot of fun to be had there i'll have the james brood 
uh, rooftop tent on top of my truck on display, which I'll also be sleeping in. So if you come and check it out after dark, be careful if you try to look into it because I'll probably be up there. So that's coming up this weekend. Uh, I believe you had to RSVP already to go to that. And there was like 400 people that RSVP'd, but it's going to be a pretty awesome event. Looking forward to it. So I'll be coming out there this weekend. Last weekend, I decided to do a little bit of snake hunting. So went out uh, for timber rattlesnakes. I talked about it on one of the first podcasts ever released last year when I killed my first uh, rattlesnake that measured 52 inches, big yellow phase. And I've been hunting for a few years. I just never ended up putting a tag on one. I've caught a ton of them. Just they have to be a certain length and be a male in Pennsylvania. So it's kind of funny. Uh, again, I've t- I talked about it, you know, in detail on another podcast, but just to give you a little bit of a background, Pennsylvania is different than most other states. I'm not sure really if any other states have a tag system or they manage venomous uh, snakes like Pennsylvania does. So you buy a venomous snake tag, which now are available over the counter. You don't have to send in for them. You can just go pick it up as long as you have a fishing license. I believe mine costs $31 when I use a credit card. And uh, you can take one male rattlesnake over 42 inches. So basically from the vent to the rattles, or for lack of better terms, from the asshole to the rattles, it has to have at least 21 or more subcaudal scales. So the scales in between there uh, dictate whether it's a male or female and also be 42 inches or longer. So I went out with a buddy of mine, uh, Alex Hootie Geithner. We went out and and caught eight snakes in like three hours. So it was a really good day, and the conditions weren't ideal. We were just in a hot spot and found a bunch of snakes. And while well, most of them were probably probably weren't legal as far as the size of them. Found one real big one, the last one of the day. And that snake ended up, uh, that snake ended up being probably over the allotted length, but, um, it, it was a little bit as irritated as far as trying to, trying to get it into, like you put it into a plastic tube and in that plastic tube is, is you let it kind of basically slither in there clamp down on the body so it can't back out on you and that's where you take the measurement and check the scales well this one was was getting ready to shed his skin and super irritated would not at all uh, cooperate to go in the tube and actually took a lunge at me at one point when i was kind of being a little bit too lax with it and i just decided to let it go and and uh just kind of move on for the day so going to go out in a few weeks here with a few buddies we're going to do an overnight camping trip try to get some more snakes uh take out a bunch of friends that have never been out before so that'll be fun i'm really looking forward to that but i uh, just posted up a bunch of pictures of those snakes today um, over on instagram and and uh, facebook there so check those out uh with that being said i have Cody Rich coming on the podcast. So Cody, not familiar with them, has the Rich Outdoors podcast, one of the 
uh, I'd say one of the most popular hunting podcasts out there as far as Western hunting goes and, and elk hunting. And Cody has a ton of knowledge and information from years of hunting elk. And I was super pumped to be able to get him on here. And I mean, in reality, he is, you'll hear me talk about on the podcast here. He's, he's got the mustache mustache game covered in the, in the West. So I had to kind of cover the gap on the East coast, but Cody's a great guy. And I think you guys really enjoy this podcast. So check that out and hopefully i'll see some of you this weekend at muster on the mountain all right we're live cody rich what's going on man oh not much man just uh living the dream it's a nice beautiful pouring down rain day in montana so i was actually doing some e-scouting yeah it's actually just about the same here we had some high winds and you said you got some hail when we were talking before we started recording here but uh we were supposed to get some but haven't seen any of that yet luckily dude it was like 75 degrees and i was like ah oh, it's a little cloudy and then the next thing i know it sounds like the roof is gonna fall off because like it dropped from 75 to 45 and it was just like straight spitting hail so crazy weather today in bozeman montana uh bring an umbrella maybe a rain jacket (laughs) yeah (laughs) it seems to be the story across the country and i was at the total archery challenge there in uh, pennsylvania recently the people that were coming even from out west and utah and montana idaho everyone's like same story it's been rain yeah dude i saw the the pictures and stuff from pennsylvania i was like that's crazy it was bad weather oh yeah we get freaking hammered my booth blew over at one point and i I got a cheap like (laughs) pop-up tent and the canopy started taking off on me i'm grabbing it and and uh when i was tearing down the tent actually blew away and landed right on top of sean de gray so that was that was (laughs) great took out the the owner but um Uh, yeah man well the the Bridger Bowman guys had a shoot last weekend. Uh, so June, gosh, what eighth? And it was it snowed that night. So like it, they woke up to straight snow on all the targets. It was, yeah, snowy day out. It was crazy. I didn't get to go to it, but uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy that in June it's still snowing. Yeah, yeah, that's it's yeah. We don't have that here, luckily, but <laughs> that's that's nuts. My my brother just moved outside of Denver there, and like it was like two weeks ago. They had six inches of snow, and I was like, that's that's crazy for June. You know? Yeah, no kidding, man. But I'm ready for summer. I'm ready for like scouting. Ready for hunting. Like, yeah, just ready for not winter, pretty much. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> but so Cody, I uh. So if, if anyone doesn't know who you are, I kind of want you to give a little bit of background and just like, basically you were the original mustache podcaster from the (laughs) West. And, you know, I just, I, there was a a gap in the East coast. I had to fill it, you know, (laughs) I like it, dude. I like it. We got the mustache brothers podcast going on right now. Uh, and I was wearing my rutstash, uh, shirt earlier, by the way. So thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no problem. Very fitting. <laughs> uh, so yeah, my name is Cody Rich, uh, originally from Oregon, grew up, you know, West coast hunter, uh, hunting Roosevelt and blacktails. I now live in Bozeman with the rest of the outdoor industry. Uh, I 
especially once you're in the industry for long enough, they, it's mandatory that you move to Bozeman, uh, which is not actually true. Uh, my <laughs> wife and I just always wanted to live in Montana. So we decided we'd uh, do it before we got too tied down in Oregon. So we bombed, uh, bombed out to Montana with nowhere to live and uh, planted some new roots in a new state, uh, 2017. So uh, loving it here. Um, even though it snows in June, it's still awesome. And so, yeah. I'm an elk fanatic, uh, kind of hunted all over. I grew up, so interestingly enough, I grew up hunting Roosevelt's, which is like, you have to call for. Uh, and so grew up calling. That's kind of my, my background, my forte, my bread and butter. I love dark timber and screaming bulls, but you moved to Montana and I've kind of been working on hunting these open country elk. And so it's kind of been a learning curve for me. And uh, I think overall, I'm just obsessed with elk. And, you know, I started a podcast back in 2000. 2015, just so I could ask more people more questions and dive into it. And I, I still don't consider myself an expert. Um, I think I've learned a lot over the over the years of a over 350 podcasts now. So, um, I, you know, I just consider myself a student, not a teacher for sure. Uh, but obsessed with elk, love elk hunting. But that's uh, me in a nutshell. Yeah, that was a that was a good way of kind of wrapping everything <laughs> together there. And uh, yeah, I, I guess that's. I, I've been told if you're if you're serious about being in the outdoor industry, you got to live in Bozeman. So I guess that's fitting. <laughs> uh, there's so so many jokes that go around about that. I'm sure you hear yeah. that more times than not. <laughs> but I had I just wanted to put it on the record that I had a mustache before I moved to Bozeman. So that's just so that everyone knows. <laughs> yeah, and I I hate the the fact that it's uh, correlated with hipsters now too. You know, uh, I know. Which is funny because I came from Oregon, which is I did nowhere near Portland, but it's synonymous with Portland, and there's a lot of hipsters with mustaches in Portland. So, yeah, I, uh, not the case. I don't think I'm a hipster. Yeah, pretty sure. Uh, yeah, it's it's funny. Like I when I did it, I was I always would grow mustaches for the whitetail rut, and I always, that's like the rut stash. That's where I came up with that, and then um, I like it. so I just it's I did it for like five years, and then all of a sudden. Um, well, I ended up starting this brand East meets West with it. And I had the mustache and Turkey season and just the same time I launched the podcast and everything. And I went to total archery challenge and filmed a, a prime archery commercial there. And ever since that point, he's the dude with the mustache. No one really knew my name, but I was just the, the dude with the mustache. So I kind of, kind of built it with the brand and I, I like it now. My, my grandpa's got a way bigger batter ass mustache and i do one that like goes way down over the bottom lip and at some point maybe nice. I, i'll be cool enough to be able to do that but <laughs> dude totally and it's funny you say that because like it does become an identity like i swear so it was uh winter of 2015 I, yeah i think so in winter of 2015 i had a huge beard and i just got tired of the beard and i was like yeah it's gotta go and it was the day before uh super bowl in 2015 and i just shaved off my beard but left the mustache as a joke and i was like i'm gonna go to the super bowl party and see if anybody notices so i go to the super bowl party and everyone's like oh my god what the hell's on your face (laughs) (laughs) just as a joke and uh the joke's still funny so i guess i cap it but but the long story is similar i you know started my podcast and like just ended up keeping it for whatever reason uh and it became my identity. So I couldn't really get rid of it. And then, 
you know, I think was it this last year I did shave it off and I felt naked and I was afraid. So I had to bring it, grow it back. So I grew it back. Uh, but I feel like it's not nearly as big as it was after <laughs> three or four years. So I'm like a mustache in training right now. That's funny. I uh, I shaved mine off this January, the, actually the day after the ATA show. And I, I, I got, well, I get so much people like being like, oh, that thing's so ugly on your face. And then when you shave it off, like you look like a 17 year old kid. And I'm like, oh shit, I can't win. Totally. But uh, yeah, I grew, I grew <laughs> back and I think it's, I think it's around to stay, you know? So perfect. Yeah. Mine's uh, probably not going to go anywhere for a while. So yeah, but that's yeah. funny. But now that we, now that we got the mustache talk out of the way. I, uh, uh, so the reason that, you know, I, I got you on the podcast here, you've, so I don't listen to, I used to listen to a hell of a lot more podcasts. Than I do now. I don't listen to too many just, I think, cause doing your own, I'm always either recording or editing and I just don't listen to as many, but there's a few that I still listen to. And, and yours is one of them that has, uh, you know, a ton of really useful knowledge. And I specifically, cause I've, you know, been obsessed with elk hunting for the last four years. And so those are the ones that really resonate with me personally. And also some of the ones that you kind of do that get into the entrepreneurship type, you know, talk on it. But I, you have recently, uh, you come or you haven't came out with it, you know, as the time of recording this, but by the time this releases, you'll have it out. Um, you, you put together kind of some lessons to, I guess, help people take from the, the elk 101 to elk 201. How are you, I guess, explain that a little bit better than I am. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't no worry. Uh, so I mean, I'm an entrepreneur. Like, so outside of being an elk fanatic, I'm an entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur for, I don't know, 10, 12 years. And, you know, I, as a, as obsessed as I am with learning about elk hunting, I, you know, obsessed over entrepreneurship and, and like, I, I, I didn't go to college. So I kind of just learned everything from books and I read tons and tons of books. And so I, I pick up a a lot of these lessons from entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship books, and things like that. And I think it's really helped me in my elk hunting career as well. And so, you know, couple that with 350 podcasts or so, and, you know, I get a lot of the same questions and I see a lot of the same problems with people. And so, like, inherently, when you're in this world and you get questions from people and you talk to experts, and you're like, okay, I can put these pieces together pretty well. Um, and I wanted to come up with, like, this, like, cheat sheet, I guess, not cheat sheet, but like mini course, we'll call it a mini course of just how to take it from 101 to 201. If you think about it, it's like, okay, 101 is your entry level, 201, and then 301 is kind of an expert level. And, you know, when you're, the way I see it, this is like very one person's opinion, but, you know, 101 person to me is like someone who's just wandering around in the woods, hoping to get lucky. A 201 person is someone who is confident that they're going to get their elk every single year. And, you know, if you put 301 out there, it's like someone who can target one elk and get that elk killed, you know, so like that's the level of mastery, right? And so what I'm trying to do is help people go from 101 to 201. And, you know, so I built this mini course on just how to think about things. It's not necessarily specific tactics. It's very much kind of this broad overview or uh, a way to think about what you're doing. So, you know, a lot of our podcasts and things dive into like certain tactics of like, here's how to, you know, here's how to scout or here's how to call and all these things, which, which are good. But I think there's a big piece that's missing from this conversation. And to me, it's like, 
how to go about thinking thinking about how and what you're doing. And it really does just boil down to like being efficient and effective. And I think that gets so overlooked and nobody's talking about it. It's like, I look at it from the entrepreneurship world of here's how to be very efficient with or very effective with your time. And so I've kind of made this little mini course and it's just a eight part lesson or eight lessons. Um, you get one a day and, and it goes through really how to be efficient and effective in all the pieces to elk hunting to help you be more successful. Now, this 101, 201, and 301 is not necessarily like the day you graduate from one to the other. I still float between them all. You know, like <laughs> there's definitely days where I'm still a 101. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I would consider myself floating somewhere between 201 and 301. Uh, and, and I think we all do that. We all float. And like some days we're super confident we're going to kill elk every year. Maybe three or four years you kill an elk every single year and all of a sudden, you know, you start striking out. Um, so I don't think it's like a necessarily like a hard, fast rule of this day or this and that day or that, but it's basically a, a, a kind of a mindset. And you kind of went through the course on a, on a beta run, I guess. I just sent it to a few people like, Hey, check this out. What do you think? Um, so I'm actually kind of curious what your thoughts are going through this um, and some of the struggles you've had and struggles you've seen as someone who's been hunting for the last couple of years, but haven't been able to get it done. Yeah. So like the first part, the first lesson, if you want to call it that, that you sent out the effectiveness and efficiency, you know, that really resonated with me. And I think it will with a lot of the listeners that are, you know, say coming from the East to going out West, it's, we only have a certain amount of time to get it done, you know, between, you know, if you're working, you have vacation, you're taking off work. So you, and then you have travel to get out there. Most of us are driving, um, just from the standpoint of getting the, you know, the meat of an elk back or whatever. So you got say at the least one day, usually two days of driving each way on that. And say you got, you know, five or seven days vacation or, or days to really hunt five to seven days. That's not a whole lot of time. So if you, you know, when you're doing that, you need to be able to be on your game and trying to find elk, you know, that entire time. And I, I think like last year I got, I was out there for 14 days. I was lucky and was able to get some more time off. And, you know, there, I, I definitely could tell there were some times I was a little more lax because I knew I had two weeks. I'm like, there's no way I don't get it done in two weeks. Like, hell, this is, yeah. you know, I kind of, I had that attitude a little bit and I spent uh, probably an extra day or so in this one area that was all dried up and the elk weren't where they were the year before I'd, or the two years before that I hunted this area and always got an elk in these spots and it just wasn't the sign there. And I just kept like almost trying to create the elk to be there. And like, just thinking, oh, you know, they're here somewhere and they had completely moved out of that area. So after like four or five days, I picked up and went to a different part of the unit and then ended up going to a whole nother unit. But I guess what my point of that is I didn't, you know, I wasn't thinking as efficient as efficiently as I could have been to, you know, become effective with it and just moving, you know, in some of your lessons here, you talk about, you know, when you don't, you're not looking for one elk or two elk, you're looking for a herd of elk, you know? And I mm -hmm. think that's a really good point to, to kind of touch on. I mean, when, when, when I was out there, you know, looking like if I even saw an elk or I saw some sign, I'm like, Oh, there's one here, you know? And I was pushing for it and, you know, you kind of talk about it and, and actually, uh, 
Corey Jacobson kind of talks about a little bit and his on the standpoint of he's wanting the bull that wants to play, but almost the kind of the same thing that, you know, you're, you're moving until you find, you know, a herd of elk or whatever. And I thought that was something that was a really good takeaway, um, from the lessons here. And you kind of want to speak a little bit on that topic. Totally, totally. Yeah. And I totally agree with, uh, on this. And, and this is where I try to stay away in my mini courses. Like there's a lot of tactics. And to me, I almost was trying to keep it shorter. Like Corey's course is amazing and it is in depth, but short of doing an entire course, which has already been done. Cordy has it. These are just a few of like the concepts I think about. And so when I talk about like, and I see this as a huge, like not a huge mistake, but it's a very, very common mistake that people make is like, they're going out West and they want to kill an elk. So they just have to find an elk. But when you're hunting one elk, it's you on and you and that elk against each other. Like, man, you have very little odds of killing that elk. Like he just has the upper hand tenfold. But if you go into uh, a draw and you find 50 elk, you're like, now it's one in 50. Like you, your odds are extremely better, you know? So if you're looking and what tends to happen is like these elk, when you, when you understand what they're like, they're all rutting and they're kind of doing the same thing. So you may find one elk on the side of a mountain, but he's looking for the herd too. So, you know, what I've really found is that if you want to kill any elk, like, and I, I tell a lot of people this in my podcast, like go hunt the herd bull. And what I mean by that is that you're going to hunt the action, you know, you're looking for the biggest amount of elk that you can. And inherently that's where everyone's going to show up. That's where the party is. And so when you spend your time trying to find that and you understand that, okay, during the summer, basically elk, cow elk are going to be in their summer pattern, right? And most of the bulls are going to be off doing their thing. Some of the, the middle class, middle age classes are going to be hanging around pretty close. And when you understand that, you're like, okay, now you show up in Colorado, Montana, wherever you're going to hunt. And you're like, okay, I'm finding a little bit of sign. There's definitely an elk here. That's all I need. Well, what you're looking at is an area that one elk is hanging out at, but he's going to go somewhere else because he's looking for those cows. So when you're trying to find a herd of elk, you want to find the biggest population that you can because it gives you the biggest opportunities. And, you know, a lot of times you'll find these places where there's three or four elk kind or three or four herds of elk kind of in the same area using this and they're bouncing back and forth. I mean, that's what you truly want because now you have bulls going from one herd to another and, and there's just a lot more opportunities. And, you know, I talk about in my sequence is like, it's getting at bats and that is the name of the game. And like, you just want to kill an elk, you know, whether you're even trying to get to one one uh, you know, you're, you're really just trying to get at bats. You need those experiences. And as you found out, like you can get into elk a lot, but how, you know, it takes a number of at bats to really even seal the deal. So now it's like, okay, how do we get more at bats? How do you get into more elk? And, you know, kind of what Corey's already told you is like, it's, you know, that's kind of the reason a lot of people frown upon like, Hey, I'm going to go in 20 miles because it really limits you. And so I think it's, you know, being efficient and effective if you really boil it down, being efficient is using your time wisely, but being effective is doing the right thing at the right time. So the differentiator there is like, yeah, I can be really efficient. I could, you know, be hiking my butt off and, and going, I can hike four miles an hour and I'm getting back there and I'm bouncing around, I'm glassing the perfect times. But if I'm not doing the wrong thing at the wrong time, I'm not being effective with my time. So it's like I, in this email or in this um, lesson, I talk about being effective, but also being efficient, but also being effective and doing the right things at the right time to, to maximize at-bats. That's all we're trying to do is get you in front of more elk. If that's the end, at the end of the day, that's what's important. 
Yeah, I mean, because you're, you're going to screw it up. I mean, I mean, at least from my perspective, <laughs> like I, I was telling you a little yeah. bit beforehand, and, and I've talked about it on the podcast before, but I've screwed up more chances than, than I'd care to admit. And it's all from, you know, not totally. knowing what to do in those situations. You know, I grew up hunting whitetails, and, and you know, when you go back to talking about, you know, finding one elk, and, and you kind of touch on a little bit, you know, in your mini course here about like, that's kind of the, the 301 guys say they're going for like the one bowl that might be, you know, back in this, you know, super remote basin or whatever it is. And I kind of compare that to whitetails where, you know, for a few years there, I was hunting one specific buck and there wasn't, I mean, he didn't like being around other deer and it was extremely tough. I wasn't seeing a lot of animals. And then once he, uh, passed on that I couldn't find him anymore. So I assumed that he was shot in rifle season. I, I started, you know, hunting, uh, I guess, uh, where more deer were and where I thought there was a, a chance of more mature deer that might not have been the biggest one on the mountain, but you know, good ones. And then my, my success rate, you know, jumped up from that and early opportunities did. And, and I guess I'd, hunted whitetails long enough that I've been able to capitalize on the opportunities more than I have elk, uh, obviously, but it's, I, I feel like totally. the kind of the same concept applies throughout, you know, each thing just with different tactics and, you know, the, the middle pieces there. So totally. And I mean, like just the same way as like you could kill like a 180 whitetail, you know, in a, just an area where he's not supposed to be like, there's always an anomaly. But I think at the end of the day, when you run it by the numbers, um, you know, a lot of guys will look at what I do. You know, I spend a lot of time going super deep into the backcountry, finding the most remote I can. And you know, the thing I'm looking for is different than the thing you're looking for. I'm looking for that place where an elk can grow to 10 years old or eight years old even. And, you know, I'm looking for the age class. So for me, like I'm actually staying away from the numbers because inherently it's just not going to happen that, you know, they're not going to be in the same place. And if you look at it, like the farther back you go into the back country, and that's a loose term, but the farther back you go into the back country, you know, the opportunities are going to be fewer and far between in theory but they're going to be better quality. So some of the downside of say hunting from the pickup or just hiking in and being close to roads and things like that. Yeah. Those elk have probably been messed with before. So it's, you know, like maybe they'll bump early, maybe they won't, you know, you know, you know, I've got into elk that just as soon as I made a call, they blew out of there. You know, they've been messed with very recently. So, <laughs> you know, the, the quality of those, ex, you know, of those exchanges may go down, but at the end of the day, I could jump on my pickup, drive five miles and hike a half mile into a new area and be on elk within an hour. No problem. You know? And so like I'm on multiple occasions. And so the, the downside to going super deep is that, you know, I get in there and I'm looking for that elk and I get into a herd elk, right? And I bump that herd of elk and it goes into the next drainage. Guess what? I got five, six hour hike before I even am close to elk again. And, you know, that's the downside is like you, you screw it up and you have a lot, you know, you have to a lot more work. You maybe you got to hike out of there and spend a whole day hiking out or a half day hiking over the next drainage, or, you know, it just takes up so much time and so much energy. And that's why I really want to focus in on, you know, people who like yourself, you know, you're starting out, you need more at bats. You need to fail more times. And it's like in entrepreneurship, they always talk about how do you fail faster? Well, in your 
case, it's like, how do you feel faster? You need to get within bull range of more elk. So instead of one per year, you need to be getting in front of 10 or 20 per year. So then you start to understand when to draw, when not to draw, what the elk's doing, like feeling that out. And that's when you start to have successes when you've kind of been around those scenarios because closing a deal is that's, that's the make or break. And there's, you know, always going to be somebody who, who just got lucky and a bull stopped and they shot it. But for most of us, it's the struggle is man, finding else one thing, but getting within bull range, getting a shot, getting a shot opportunity. Those are like a whole another another level of games. So it's like, you want to be around as many elk as you can so that you can have as many opportunities as you can. Yeah. It's, it's so funny. Like, like you said, it, I mean, finding elk is difficult, you know, sometimes, especially, you know, for me, when I was going out there for the first couple of times, it was extremely difficult, even going to a new area, um, finding them. And then once you find them, you're like, yeah, you know, you found them. Well, now it's a whole nother mm-hmm. game of, like you said, getting <laughs> close. And, and even once you get close, then that's where it really, you know, it, it kind of defines your success of what you're doing and making the right choices when you are close. And I guess that's where the effectiveness kind of comes into play and, um, of, you know, having those at bats, like I said, I can, and, and you really resonated with me in uh, the mini course. And you said, you know, if you could, you think about the ones when you first started elk hunting, you think about those ones that got away and what you would do differently. And that runs through my head, like constantly. I'm like, man, if I would have known this, or if I would have just done this, it, it, everything could have been different. And, um, you know, people would maybe respect when I talk about elk hunting. <laughs> <laughs> no, I always, I always say just no, but dude, like in, in that the- I don't, I do not, I'm not considered whatsoever knowing anything about elk. That's why I bring people on like Cody that can talk a little bit more about it. <laughs> yeah, I, It's funny. Cause like when I started this podcast, I really struggle with being an expert. And I think there's one thing I've learned over the years is that, you know, I look at Corey or, you know, Dan Evans is, you know, experts. These guys have killed more elk than I'll probably ever see in my life. And, you know, I look at them as experts, but there's enough people that look at you as an expert or me as an expert, you know, and I think everyone has their own expert level they're at. Um, and so I'm happy like to share my advice, but I, no way do I consider myself an expert. I'm merely a student that's kind of like relaying what I've been learning along the way, but you know, hopefully it helps a few people. Um, one question I had, you were, you were talking about, um, like, like the things falling apart at the last second and, you know, it really makes, makes me think it's like, I remember so many times and I think it's good that you think about those things. Cause I remember so many times in the early years, like, God, if I would have just done this or I just done that. And then you do that. And then the next time it's the opposite or it changes <laughs> and it's like, man, you just feel like you never know what to do. And like, I beat myself up over those mistakes, uh, early on, but I think it's just repetition and, you know, being, having confidence and, and getting yourself in those, in those situations enough that you're like, okay, like this is how, how it's done. Yeah, it's it's funny. I I think of a, a the first elk encounter I had. It was so funny because we we walked up, we heard a bugle, and we went running up. And there was this like this hiking trail right up to this lake, and it was like beautiful, well known. I mean, all these hikers camp there and all this stuff, and like never think that there's elk going to be right there. Well, the, the bugle was closer than I thought, and he was actually drinking out of the lake that was there. And and uh, I think one of the cows. Uh, seen us and kind of went up over the hill and I we went chasing after it and he's bugling is just 
he was so pissed off at us. We were just, my brother was behind me calling and raking a tree and it's just, it's just spitting and sputtering and bugling and, and, uh, but I was chasing it from the bottom and the thermals obviously were blowing up the hill. And the, the crazy thing is, I mean, where I hunt in Pennsylvania, it's actually pretty steep and we, we deal with thermals all the time. So I knew what thermals you know what they were and i just didn't account for it so the next encounter i had it was like two days later or no it might have been the next year i had uh i was in the middle of the day i there was like a group of like five or six wallows that were just absolutely destroyed and there was a north facing slope right next to a dark timber so i was just i was by myself at this point i was kind of beat up i'm like i'm just gonna sit here by this tree you know off the side of the wall because if i sat right next to it the wind would have been blowing up to where i thought they were bedding so i stayed about i don't know 75 yards down from it and i was kind of dozing off and all of a sudden i heard splashing i looked over and there's a five by five just throwing mud all over itself and going nuts and i cow called and he comes out like on a string and all of a sudden i panicked and i'm like it looked like he was coming up <laughs> above me. So I just like got up and just like sprinted, try to get above him. And in reality, he was coming in on a string and, uh, uh and then I, he was at 12 yards and behind a, you know, a tree at that point. But if I would have stayed where I was at, you know, I would have got that opportunity. And it's just, it's just funny. Like you say, one thing happens so that I do the opposite and he did the opposite. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, it's, uh, oh, dude, it's that, crazy. It, it, don't worry, that'll that'll just keep happening. So just to make you not feel bad, I'll, I'll give you one of my early mess, my first mess up ever. So I was uh, 15, and uh, we knew some. I knew some elk up in this cut or whatever. Seen him the night before, and I, I'm by myself. So I drove myself up to this gate um, illegally, uh, but I think the statute of limitations is up on that. I'm not sure, but uh, so I drove myself to this gate. I think I skipped school and uh, <laughs> double trouble there. 15, yeah, 15. <laughs> And, uh, I start hiking up this road in the dark and it's like just cracking daylight. And I'm, so on my right, there's a gravel road that goes up and on my right. There's just some big dark timber. And on my left, it's a big clear cut. And I'm thinking that the elk are about 200 yards ahead of me. And I had, uh, a Siri call this old, the old scary. And, uh, I just stopped and I just blew two hard hyperlip calls and it's still just dark enough where you can't really see. And a goddamn train came through that uh, clear cut and I thought I was going to die. Like it just like snap, pop, and just coming. And I panicked and just hit the ground and like into the first bush that was there. And this five point just runs up and he's standing like 30 yards from me. And I guarantee he could hear my heartbeat because I could hear it heartbeating. And I'm like, I'm stuck in this bush. And he just walks and he's like looking for me and looking for me. And I'm, I'm so screwed dude i'm like in in the bushes like they like in, in no circumstance whatsoever could i have even drawn a bow if i had a shot but i am in the bushes <laughs> and like he goes around to like 12 yards behind me and i'm too afraid to like move or anything and so like he is 12 yards from me and i i think i just sat there and panicked uh and then pretty soon he got down with me and bolted and uh, that experience like as pissed as I was, I don't think I was mad at that moment. I was like, that was the coolest thing ever, you know? And I'm like, yeah, I had no chance at killing that elk whatsoever. <laughs> but well, lesson that, learned. Yeah. It makes me Stand feel a little better. In front of the cover, not behind it or in it. Like don't bury yourself in the middle of bushes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That makes you feel a little bit better is doing that. And it's, it's funny. That was one of the first things I think I did learn because 
my first year was when Corey launched the University of Elk Hunting and I signed up and he talked about standing in front of objects. And uh, mm-hmm. so that, I feel like that was the only thing that I did right was stand in front of objects, but I still, the setups were terrible and everything else went wrong, but <laughs> <laughs> you know how yeah. that, how that goes. But totally, I, totally. I, you know, I think it's, I think it's, you know, good to talk about those type of stories and things that help people because if you just look at, you know, whether it's Instagram or something else, social media, it just seems like everyone's just killing shit except for you. And, and, uh, it, everyone, you know, makes mistakes. Totally, totally. And I think it, you know, the, they, they're required to learn. And, and I think that's the tough part, it, you know, like for yourself who, who has to do so much to go out kind of, you know, it's not just going out your back door. Um, man, it's, it's tough, but learning from those mistakes is the only thing you can do. And, and it's tough it's tough because you always want to like shorten this learning curve. Like, how do I, how do I not have to go through five years of not killing an elk to kill an elk? And, uh, you know, that's, that's where this course stems from. There's a lot of the same questions I get over and over. Um, and they're not, you know, it's not very specific. I really tried to stay away from, you know, here's the tactic you do. It's more of like, here's a, here's how to think about things. Um, here's, you know, philosophy. And I, you know, I built it around like this could work for someone like yourself who comes, you know, thousand miles to, to go elk hunting or someone who hunts in their backyard, uh, and tr- really tried to stay away from like the specific, uh, pieces that are like, okay, here's the tactic you need to use because so much of that changes. Like, like, you know, it's like different if I'm elk hunting in Montana versus Western Oregon. So those things change a lot. Um, I do dive into the wind a little bit. I know you talked about that. Um, uh, that's, I think a huge piece of it for a lot of people coming out West is like this miracle, magical devil that they think the wind is, um, which sometimes it can, you know, feel like that. It just feels like the wind spites you, um, just follows you around and blows your back all the time. Um, but I think, you know, when you have a good concept of how the wind works, that can really help. Um, man, I screwed that up for years. I think that was probably the mistake that I made the longest was it's not just thermals, it's wind and understanding how wind works in the mountains and how wind and topography played in a, in a role. Because, you know, I think so many of us, you know, we're taught like, oh yeah, thermals, it goes up and down, which is not like, yeah, that's a very broad statement. You know, yeah. In a perfect opinion. case <laughs> like, scenario. There's, <laughs> Yeah. Like a ridge that has no effect from other mountain or topography or features, yes, might do that for like an hour a day. And it's like, I think (laughs) we get taught that thing that, you know, like, oh, thermals, they go up and down. And that's like, the people just take that to heart and then they, they get in these situations, you know, and one thing that I've learned is that, man, I truly believe elk tend to find spots that the thermals won't act to. So they're choosing no different than a trout sits in a back eddy, you know, and he's waiting for that food to, to be there. You know, did the, was the back eddy there and then the, the trout, you know, in front of the trout or did the trout choose that spot? And so I think in the same capacity, like I look at a lot of spots and, and I'll, I'll think about this before I make a move. So you've probably experienced this, you know, you find a and you get all jazzed up. Oh, I got to get down there and do this thing. Um, but you never think about the wind. You're like, okay, wind's doing this. I'm going to, you know, it's blowing here. But what is it doing there? And I think, man, a lot of people miss that one. You know, like just because it's doing it here, what does that mean? And how does the topography lay out to where what it could be doing there. And I think that's a huge thing that gets missed. And I, and I say that because I've screwed that up more times than probably most of your listeners, you know, I'm like a gung ho and I get down in there and the wind swirls 
and it, you know, or the wind's going the wrong way when I get there and, you know, blow it out. So man, wind is, wind, uh, wind can be your friend. It can be the devil. It's, it's a tough thing to master in the mountains. I will tell you that. Yeah. And one, one thing that you touched on that I had never heard anybody else talk about, but, but I've learned it from hunting whitetails in Pennsylvania. Like so in the Appalachian region, we have a lot of steep ridges and with some little points and spurs coming off those. And so the, the whitetails seem to bed, you know, just over the edge of these like hills out in the points. seems like the, the mature bucks always get the furthest spot out and they're over on the edge where the winds swirling. So they have the, they have the dominant wind that's coming to their back. Normally they can see down over and also get some thermals that are coming up. But in addition to that, depending on the wind speed, you can get the, the wind tunnel effect where the winds, you know, the dominant wind is coming over the ridge and then it kind of just sweeps under like a wave does. And that that's that was one of the biggest learning curves for me with whitetails is that understanding that wind tunnel and you know it applies to elk too cuz they're going to bed in those places like that. Like so if I was setting up I started hunting like for, for whitetails tree stands I I started hunting uh really close to known buck beds and I can only hunt like certain those areas or I have to be careful on how I set up based on the wind speed, because if it's super windy and that tunnel comes in effect, you might have the wind perfect and you're like, and you just hit your, your little, your, uh, puffer or whatever you want to call it, your smoke thing there for uh wind detection and it'll go and it sounds like it's good, but you're not seeing what it does out further. And that's when I started carrying milkweed because it travels further mm-hmm. and you can see that whole entire um, process of it. But there's so many different things that, you know, with the wind and you dive, you know, really deep, not really deep, but you dive pretty deep into that and give a good understanding without losing people, you know, in that, in the one whole section you have, that's all about understanding the wind. Totally. And like, I think, you know, thermals are like such a just base layer piece. Um, and you know, it sounds like you've kind of, you've thought about this or you'll understand it pretty well as far as whitetails. And it's like, you would never try to hunt that whitetail when he's laying in his bed. Like he's, he has that spot nailed for a reason. And I think too many people, they hear a bugle and they think they can just absolutely call in any elk. Um, and it's just not the case. And so I think a part of being effective is choosing the timing, right? Like you're going to choose the timing on that buck. You're not going to just go in there and try to kill him on his bed. Um, you're not going to go up to his bed and try to rattle him over to you. Um, it just, it wouldn't work. So it's like, okay, how do I be, be effective? And so like, uh, you know, what, is, where's is he going and like, what's going to happen? What are the probabilities of, you know, certain events happening in the next, you know, hour, four hours, 10 hours. And you know, when you look at that, you're like, okay, here's, here's where he's vulnerable. And so like, I, man, just overthinking it and saying, okay, well, if that elk, you know, I've seen a lot of big bulls, um, that'll bed and shoots, you know, like avalanche shoots and things like that. So they'll almost bed their, 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 uh, cows down and they'll go bed in an avalanche shoot because man, like an avalanche shoot is like on a, on a certain ridge when you have the wind blowing past it, it just creates a swirl and an updraft and all these things. And so like they're, they're basically keeping track of everything. And just like, you know, your whitetail that beds on that ridge, I, man, I've seen elk do that a lot. 
spot to where it's like they just have the wind perfect and you're not going to win. You're not going to win that game if you try. And, the, you know, with elk, it's like you got 30 noses, not just one. So, you know, choosing your timing is huge to that and like just anticipating and not that you can completely anticipate the wind unless you completely understand like low pressure, high pressure systems and you can have a way to control that and topography. And like there's a lot of variables there that you can't keep track of. And I think the the best takeaway is like how am I, how am I thinking about the wind before I make an action or what could the wind possibly doing before I take action and screw this up? Because as you know, you just don't get that many opportunities at elk. They, yeah. They'll figure you out real quick. So uh, this might be a completely off the wall question, but I want to hear if it relates at all to elk. So like when I, with whitetails, I believe that if a buck has a certain, you know, point or ridge that he, that he likes to bet on and they, they, in the in the Appalachian Mountains, they don't have like one bed they lay in, but say they have a few preferred areas and you do bump it, you know, it gets away. I, I'm, a lot of people are like, you know, I don't do that. I don't like to bump the deer and I don't like to bump them either. But if they got away and, you know, unharmed, unscathed, then their bedding spot did its job. And they'll typically come back to that area and bed there again. If you bump them two, three times, it might be different. Does that apply to elk at all? Or do they not really have one spot elk- that they bed really? Um, it depends on the elk you're talking about. So I think there, there are elk that act like that. You know, prairie elks tend to act somewhat like that. I, I just don't think elk are as habitual, um, as whitetail deer are. Um, they tend to be a lot more nomadic or they at least move in cycles, uh, bigger cycles. So, you know, they don't have, they have much broader home bases, but at the same time, you know, they could just leave for no reason. It's kind of like herding cats. Like it's really hard. Like uh, there's a lot of whitetail guys like, Oh, just pattern them. And, and that's how you do it, man. Find me a guy that's patterned elk pretty well. And, and <laughs> you know, then I might change my mind, but you know, sometimes prairie elk can be like, there's the guys that kill big bulls and they pattern them. Uh, there's guys that kill Roosevelt's and they pattern them, you know, early season, I- I think they're far more patternable. Uh, I think they become less patternable, no different than like trying to pattern a whitetail in the peak of rut. Uh, there's a lot of variables and things that can change his mind. So, uh, you know, I just don't, I don't think so as far as they'll go. I don't, I don't know that they're, you know, that habitual to have certain beds, man. It just, I've had so many times where I just think I absolutely have a, a herd of elk figured out and then they just disappear or go to the next ridge for no apparent reason whatsoever. Um, so they just tough in that way, but sometimes yes, sometimes no. And that's, I mean, there's just too many answers to that yeah. question, you know, like it's too many variables. No, I, I, I didn't think, I mean, it didn't seem right, but I was like, I'd never heard that question kind of asked. So I figured, Hey, we'll see if there's any, you know, a relationship there, but, uh, well, I guess I'll totally, I, I guys do it with mule deer. I know there's mm-hmm. some great hunters that'll bump a mule deer before season just to figure out where he goes. Yeah. Um, you know, that's crazy to me, but you know, I think mule deer more than elk for sure. Okay. That, that makes sense. But yeah, it's, it's like, you know, some of those questions like that, it's, you know, people, if you're thinking in the, the whitetail mindset, I'm sure some things apply, but elk are a completely different animal. And, but you know, as far as like the wind, totally. I mean, they're trying to survive. So they're going to use it to their advantage, you know, whether, no matter what species it is. Totally. And like, you have to understand that like some elk will go 15 miles to take a drink of water and then turn around and come back. Like it's on such a bigger scale than we can wrap our head around that, you know, like I, I have buddies that watch elk all summer and then they just disappear. No idea where they went, you know, 
for all they know, it's not within five miles. And but that's not unrealistic for an elk just to be like, okay, peace. I'm going, you know, five ten miles this way. Yeah. And, and like, good luck. You know, when you go to, when you get to that 10, 15 mile range, you're like, man, good luck. <laughs> that he just checked out on you. Yeah, and like you said, there's so many variables about where they live. You know, I mean, I've hunted primarily dark timber areas in the high country, Colorado. And now I'm going to Idaho this year and it's a you know, a mixture of open country and dark timber. So it's going to be completely different for me. And I'm kind of excited about, you know, that just to do something a little bit different, but each, I'm sure, you know, each area is a little bit, you know, I, I didn't do really any glassing, you know, in Colorado, I, I did glass them up in the high country before, but I, I think in Idaho this year, I'm going to rely, you know, a lot more on optics um, you know, at least in the mornings and the evenings and, uh, just try to, you know, it's just, like you said, there's no one answer to that. And that, at least that's what I'm gathering from you and everyone else that I've, you know, talked to. Totally. Uh, so what would you say is your biggest mistake, um, throughout your elk hunting career or hmm. a struggle maybe? Uh, I'd say the biggest struggle would have to do with closing the deal honestly, it's getting my mind right. And, and, you know, knowing when to shoot and when not to, I think I was a little bit, I don't know, a little bit too timid when it came to that. Like, I felt like I was more aggressive than some do on their first few trips, you know, but I, I feel like I was too timid when it came to the point where I had, you know, opportunities. I'm waiting for that perfect, you know, shot. And obviously, I mean, it needs to be an ethical shot, but you also got to take the, you know, the advantages that are the opportunities that you get. And I think that's one of the mm-hmm. things I've screwed up more than, more than not was that, that piece of actually closing the deal. No, totally. And for a long time, and there's a, a lesson in the mini course that talks about sealing the deal. And, you know, for a long time I was that way, I would be like, man, I need to be more, more aggressive. And then I'd be too aggressive and I'd bump something. You know, guys like, God, okay, less aggressive. And then you wouldn't get it done. And, or like just the shot wouldn't happen. It would never materialize. And, and, and so you go back and forth on that and it's like so hard to, to nail down like what to do at the right time. Um, and I, I do tend to lean on not like forcing the shot. It seems like I'm forcing it into a thing, but like forcing the move to get the shot. So, you know, I don't know how many times it's been like, like just out of sight or just, you know, just can't quite get an open shot to the vitals and I just have to move. And it's like, you know, I take a couple steps left or right, or maybe run up 10 feet when he's not looking or something like that. And like, man, I, I've killed a lot of elk by like really just forcing the shot. Like, like I got to move and like just run up 10 feet, um, or step out or, you know, bugle, like, when I think I shouldn't. And, and that really made the deal in, and sometimes it doesn't work, but sometimes it, you know, I think more often than not, it does. And, you know, I think you talk to a lot of great elk hunters and it's like um, nine times out of 10, it's, it's about making the shot come to you and not, not just waiting for the perfect shot to, to materialize. Yeah, no, that's, that's, I, I think, like you said, I think that's my biggest weakness. I think I have a ton of weaknesses, but like from an opera, like an actual me coming home with elk meat and, and having a successful hunt from that standpoint of filling tag, it was, that was, you know, what ultimately led to me not filling a tag was that last, those last moments. And, 
you know, like I said, when you can go back and I can replay it in my mind and I have, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. And then when you, when you think you're going to get that exact, uh, opportunity again, it changes it up. So you got, you know, totally. it just being able to execute in that moment. I think it comes down for me to the confidence thing too. Like I, I, it's funny because like, I felt like I threw out some of my knowledge when it comes to whitetails. Like I'm an opportunist guy when it comes to shots on whitetails. And again, I don't want it to sound like, you know, I'm just taking whatever shot, you know, it comes at you, but like, I'll make it happen, whether that's, you know, you know, squeezing it in between a couple trees that I need to in the vital show, or I'm able to, if I'm on the ground, I'll shoot whitetails frontal and, and a whole bunch of other different kind of things that, you know, you're always waiting for that perfect opportunity that don't, doesn't usually happen. But what I'm getting at is I, I seem to be more confident, I think, from experience with whitetails. And when it comes to elk, I just really have lacked in that category. So I, I, I think that's a definitely a big thing that I'm working on here personally. No, and I think one of my biggest pieces of advice uh, would be to draw before you think you need to. And this is specifically like when an elk's coming in, if you're calling an elk, you know, obviously if you're just spot and stock, this doesn't apply more for calling. Uh, but if you're calling like draw before you need to almost every time, like they're going to catch you. If you try to draw and if you can see the elk and you draw it, he's going to catch you. Like he's looking for movement, you know, especially for you guys that are going to be calling solo. Um, you know, I do a lot of solo hunting and I've got caught more times trying to got, draw my bow back or, you know, they, they get to range. I'm like, okay, cool. Now, I, now I need to make the shot happen. And then you go draw and it's like they jump, maybe they jump and they stop 10 yards away, but now they're like full alert and the opportunity to take a step in one way or the other is over. Like you can't like, if he's thinks you're there or knows you're there, stepping in any direction is done. Like it's you, you pretty much luck of the draw when he's, when he spooks. So, you know, I always draw before I think I need to. Um, and you know, I even practice holding back, you know, just so I'm, confident that I can hold it for a minute, but a minute in the woods is a long damn time. And yeah. you know, when they're coming in, if it looks like you're about to get a shot or even remotely think you're going to get a shot, man, draw. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny. I mean, like, and, and everyone, you know, kind of exaggerates that, including myself, I'll draw them back for two minutes. Really? Like, let's, no, no, like, <laughs> let's, let's put a timer on that and hold back for two minutes and see what happens. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. it feels like it, it feels like an hour, but, uh, so C Cody uh, with, with you, what about like, what was, you know, like your biggest, uh, mistake or something you needed to work on for a while to be consistently successful and just the other part of that is like what you have, you know, a ton of podcasts and I'm sure people are reaching out or does that kind of fall in line with what other people are, are saying? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and we kind of touched on a lot, a lot of the little pieces that have, you know, I've screwed up over the years. Uh, I think one of the, one of the mistakes or one of the struggles I had, and I probably still have this today, uh, it's consistency. So when you're going to do, when I've done, when you're going to do something, it's good to be consistent. So like I remember multiple trips to Idaho when I was younger and it would be like, Oh, that was too aggressive. I'll be less aggressive. And then that wouldn't work. And then to be too aggressive the next time. And then, so I'd go back and forth where I think, you know, you know, if you find that middle ground and I'm consistently about the same aggressiveness, it's going to work 
at least one of the times. So instead of trying to change up your routine or what you do every single time, you know, you're likely to, that that's not going to be the case. Whereas if you just do the exact same thing every time, the same aggression level, the same, you know, whatever, pushing harder, whatever you want to call it, they, that's going to line up. And I think you find success that way. So, um, you know, I, I think a lot of people just bounce back and forth and being aggressive, being not aggressive and, and maybe like couple that with knowledge of elk behavior in a way that's like just knowing what, like if you watch a dog and you can tell it's aggressive or it's not aggressive and just animal behavior in general and like being able to look at an elk and say, you know, okay, is this going to fall apart in the next 12 seconds or is it not going to fall apart in the next 12 seconds? And, you know, that just comes from spending a lot of time. But uh, I think those things have kind of really helped me be consistent. Um, even this last year, I I spent a lot of time chasing big bulls and trying to not call, not necessarily not call. Um, if I was given the right opportunity, I would have called, but like just being almost too patient. So this last year, I was, I was probably too patient for a long time trying to kill big bulls. Um, got on some really great bulls and ended up being just too patient or just letting that situation slip out of my hands. Um, and when I went back to like my old school, you know, screaming bugles and being aggressive, it ended up getting it done. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, I kind of cool to be like, uh, back to the bread and butter, you know? And that's one thing I struggle with is hunting open country and being patient and waiting for the right moves. And, you know, if people come in and, you know, hunting pressure is always this thing, you, you can never get away from it. Uh, so, you know, I still have my struggles with that is being aggressive versus not being aggressive. But, um, I think at the end of the day, like that's kind of the thing that finding that good, that, that right middle ground has helped me be successful over the years. Okay. And does that kind of fall in line with some of your listeners, any of the, the things that they've reached out to you with, with questions or struggles or anything like that? For sure. You know, I think a lot of the, the questions questions you get are people just are, are centered around more like finding elk. I think uh, a lot of people still struggle with like getting the opportunities, um, finding the elk, things like that. I get a lot of those questions, um, probably less so than the ceiling, the deal questions. Okay. Yeah. That's, I, I wasn't sure. I mean, and just from the feedback that I get it, a lot of that comes around the same thing with the scouting portion, you know, and even like with some of the podcasts I did with Corey that had to do with that portion were like, those were the ones where I was getting the most feedback from and people responding to and, you know, wanting to know more. Cause I mean, especially if you don't live around them, I mean, that's, that's a difficult thing to do, you know? No, no. It's funny because like, uh, your tactic, there's different tactics for killing health that, we are going to do better if you have time to scout. And if you don't like for me, you know, glassing elk and sponsor can work, but at the same time, if you don't have a clue, it's going to be really hard to get on elk in an efficient time frame. And so like Corey style, where he's just looking for the bull that wants to play like that, he can, he doesn't really need to scout an area because he knows he can cover a lot of ground and call it a lot of elk. He's going to find one that wants to play and he doesn't really need to. And I think that's, that's pretty important versus, you know, picking a spot. If you're coming from the East coast and you just pick a spot, man, there's a lot of variables there. You need to be mobile. Like, and I cover this in the course too. It's like, man, if like, this is a big part of it. You have to be mobile. You have to cover a lot of ground to find the right elk 
to find the right population of elk. And I think, man, too many people, whether it's coming from California to Idaho or from the East coast or whatever, like anytime you're traveling that far and you can't scout, you have to change your tactics a little. You can't just rely on going deep and, you know, getting into one herd of elk. Like I, I think it's, if, if you can't scout, you need to be mobile. That's I think the best way to sum it up. Yeah. No, I, 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 uh, I'd agree with that. And I'd laughed the first year when I backpacked into this area and I'd, I'd like backpack hunting. I think it's fun, but I, I backpacked in and this specific spot, I realized that there was more people going deep than anything and they were passing up elk. So I ended up hunting back towards camp and there was like the, the people that were around like the mile around the trailhead. And then there's the people that were seven or six to 12 miles back in. And then there was like a, a nice gap there. A couple miles from the road is where I got into all my elk. And it was just, it was funny to kind of, to see that. And then, so this last year, the first, I think it was, I don't know, the first six, seven days of the hunt, I truck camped and just hit different areas like that and pockets. And it was, it was great. Cause I had a lighter pack on, I was able to be mobile. I didn't have to go back and pack up camp where my spike camp was and you know, everything else. So there's, like you said, there's a million different, there's a bunch of different ways of doing it, but it's, um, it's just, it's just interesting to see, you know, as far as getting those opportunities. No, it's funny. Cause, uh, one of the last, Last year as I hunted Oregon, I uh, went to a completely new area, kind of place I wanted to hunt. And uh, I get to this trailhead and there's 33 cars at this trailhead uh, and a lot of trucks and tra- uh, horse trailers. So I had, uh, don't think I brought horses. Uh, I get to this trailhead and there's 33 cars and I'm like, oh my God, this is insane. And I start hunting and within, you know, like not around there, but just off the road, different road systems and stuff. I was getting into elk consistently every single day, never saw another human. And I was just laughing. Cause I'm like, man, everyone is doing the same damn thing. Like they're all just going to trailheads, see how far they can go. And, and I didn't see any dead elk from anybody else. And like, I was in elk every single day driving around hunting a half mile, less than a mile off the road. Most of the time. <laughs> that's funny. I, uh, that's, it's, and I remember the one time I, uh, uh, we were driving down the road and there was like a heavy trailhead from hikers and hunters. And there was an elk standing there right next to the road. And, and <laughs> in the middle of the day, I was like, just, it's just, it's just funny that, yeah, uh, you know, totally. they do exactly what you don't think they're supposed to do sometimes. No. And I think that's a big piece of it is like, um, the dynamic of elk changes throughout season. And it's another thing to important thing to think about is like, I, if I say I was traveling to Pennsylvania to hunt elk, right? Like, would that be an entirely different scenario? Say I was trying to Colorado, right? Never been there. I get there. I almost want to see what happens throughout the season because that's going to tell me where the elk are. So I'm looking for those where the people aren't. Like the number of elk in the unit isn't changing. It's like, okay, I have a pretty good idea that there's going to be a lot of people in this area and this area. And when I'm mobile, it gives me the ability to kind of fill out the traffic's so to speak, or fill out the hunting, hunting pressure and be like, okay, where's the voids? How do I find the voids that people aren't? Um, more so than like just looking at the map, like, okay, well, here's going to be a void or here's going to be a void. It's always hard to tell, but you know, you drive around enough and you see cars parked in certain places or, you know, trailheads, certain certain trailheads packed. And it's like, okay, you know, I've seen a lot of people in this area. And so that's where I think I excel is just being able to find the void throughout the season. And that can be tough if you have a real short season but yeah um you know i've done that in idaho multiple times just felt like 
what the hell? Like, this is a circus. Like, there's just people everywhere. And man, I just beat my head and like, okay, what am, what can I do different? What what are they missing? What are they not seeing? And really, like, just understanding and like starting to think about and look at my map. It's like back and forth. I look at the map, like, okay, I've seen a lot of people here and here. They're probably hunting here. They're hunting this. I saw a four wheeler over there. Like, where's the gap? You know, where's the gap? Because the elk, it's not that they disappeared. They just find the holes where people aren't, and they're they're huntable. They're usually not very far from a road. Yeah. No, that's that's a that's a definitely said a good point, and honestly, you know, you said that you had found did that a lot in Idaho. If you want to just send me your waypoints to get you know rid of that learning <laughs> curve for me, you know, that's that's definitely welcomed. So pr- appreciate uh, it, buddy. <laughs> dude, and advice to you is like I think so many, <laughs> so many people like. So Jaden is this uh, guy that works for me, and he's still he's about the same level you are. He's been hunting, hunting his whole life. You understand he's good, but he's a, he just hasn't got that done yet with archery elk. So uh, he, you know, him and I talk a lot about this, and I'm like, he'll look, he'll show me spots that, like it's deep, and like I think mean, everyone is thinking deep. Everyone in the world, and I shouldn't even say this on podcast, but everyone in the world is thinking like getting away from people. Like you have to look at microterrain, and when you start looking at you look at Google Earth or you look at Onyx, everything looks tiny. It's very small. But what you don't realize is there's it doesn't take a whole lot of a hole to hide elk. Like it really doesn't. And I I think that's what a lot of people miss. And and they all know they miss it because they look at Google Earth and like oh I'm gonna climb this hill and then they get there and they're like oh that's a four thousand foot mountain. Um, <laughs> and so it's like. Man. <laughs> Google, Google is very deceiving. Well, it's, it's Google is deceiving the other way too. So if you, if there's a spot that elk can hide in, you know, start pe- marking those spots that you found elk before, and realize how small the, those little cubbies are that they can hide in, and no one finds them. You know, and so I think Google as you know as a scale is really bad for a lot of things because like we look at it and we're like we look at these giant basins and these big things and like we expect it to be there but the reality is is like man it doesn't take a whole lot to hide, hide a herd elk which is kind of a crazy statement but it really doesn't yeah you know it's it's funny I, I, google earth is a bitch i mean when i first looked out there <laughs> you know my first trip me and my brother my cousin were like all right there's all these we're gonna go up to here we're gonna glass from there we're gonna bugle from here and we'll do this on day two and like we had it all mapped out you know we had the the ultimate you know, planned killing elk. Then we got out there. We're like, holy shit. Like that's huge. Like, there's, that's <laughs> going to take two days to climb. Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly right. And, but it seemed like when you blow the elk out, they can get up over there as fast as you thought you could, but oh, yeah. <laughs> um, totally. it's funny. And uh, it's it, when you were, when you were kind of joking there at first, when you said like you come into Pennsylvania to hunt elk. So I'd live in kind of the middle of the elk herd here and they're, yeah. they're a decent amount different than out West. And, and just everything, yeah, totally. everything's <laughs> just different about it. It's funny. I, whenever I, I what's that? Oh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, whenever I feel bad about my trip out West, I come back here and I go in and I bugle and about five or six bulls and I feel okay. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. And it's like 400 inch bulls. Yeah. It's, it's stupid. The, oh, they're freaking insane. Yeah. They, they're, they're stupid. Like it's. Yeah, I, I, the one the one time I was out there just in I didn't have camo on nothing. I was just out, just trying to bugle in some just to see him and hear him. And I called in this one bull. He was a young bull, but he was still like a seven by six. And I thought the thing was gonna run me over. I'm yelling at it like, 
get the hell away from me, you know? And, and that's when you, when you get closer to some <laughs> of the towns, they act more, they don't, they don't act like elk do, I guess. But when you get into some of the, if, if you want to call it back country in Pennsylvania, well, at least back in some of the, the big forests and stuff, they act a little bit more like elk. It's just the terrain's different, vegetation's different. So it's, it's, it's tough to kind of correlate some of those things. And there's no, totally. no, no, yeah. and there's no pressure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So someday I'll draw that tag. Probably not. <laughs> hey, this year they changed it. I'm, I'm doing an article right now about their, they changed the seasons. They actually have an archery season now in Pennsylvania, which, uh, Oh, really? Yeah. So that's, and it, all there's three seasons. There's a archery season. There's a general season, which they've had for the last 15 years. And then they have a late January antlerless season and all three seasons you can apply for. And they all, they're all on a separate point system. So you start at zero for archery. Everyone's on zero and you keep your points for the general rifle tag or any weapon tag, I guess. So it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. The dates are like from September 14th to 28th, which is you draw that tag. It could be freaking killer in the, yeah in the rut. So you might want to apply June 17th here. It's, it's, it's when it you can start buying licenses and start applying. So, so isn't it with uh, with Pennsylvania? It's just um, it's like a lottery. Yeah, it's it's hundred percent lottery, except for the the what your your bonus points or preference points are, however they call them. It basically just gives you one more name in the hat. Is mm. is how okay. that works? But um, so actually onyx came out with um this hunt central that they have now on their website it's, it's it that goes through like some of the draw odds and they actually have pennsylvania elk on there and uh the percent your chance of drawing is like i think it's because they don't go any lower but it's like 0.01 percent and even if you have the max yeah. points which i think my dad is like one or two less than the max points and you're still at like 0.05 or 0.06 percent something crazy for the the rifle tag but the archery one now might be a little bit better i probably shouldn't even talk about it <laughs> <laughs> you Fair know. Enough. uh i think yeah i've put in for a, a couple different years um I don't know. Yeah, probably two years. So I got two bonus points. So I should be like up there in the draws. <laughs> yeah. Well, if, if if you end up drawing, you know, who to call to help yeah. help do some scouting for you from afar. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. Because yeah. it's probably one of those hunts you need to scout a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh, you definitely. But um. so <laughs> anyways, Cody, is there anything else that you kind of wanted to cover here that uh, wanted to people to dive into your your mini course or any other, you know, kind of tidbits. I mean, you could talk all day on elk hunting, but just any last words with that? Yeah. No. Um, I mean, I'd love you guys' feedback. I mean, we kind of created this mini course just based on like a lot of the stuff that I've learned. So, uh, sign up. It's a hundred percent free. It's at the rich outdoors forward slash two Oh one. And, uh, yeah, there'll be a link on the top of the uh, website too, to, to check it out, but it's just an email and it'll send you one email a day. Uh, it's got some homework in there, not necessary, but uh, they're basically just more content on the matter. So, you know, I think there's on the efficiency and effectiveness, uh, my buddy James and Nash and I have done an entire podcast on that. So um, just a little bit more information, but again, it's hundred percent free. Check it out. Uh, if you guys want to leave me some feedback or critique or anything, I would love it. Uh, appreciate it. But yeah, thanks so much for having me on and uh, if you got any questions. Yeah. Hit me up anytime. Awesome. So, and Cody, just one, uh, one last thing, where can you find, uh, just 
give some of your the social handles and uh, the, the podcast and everything where people can find that. Oh, totally. Uh, so the podcast is the rich outdoors. Uh, it's wherever you find your regular podcast. You found this one. Uh, and also on social, it's the rich outdoors as well. Instagram, Facebook. Um, I don't really do Twitter, so I'm not there, but pretty much every, I think I have one. I don't know much about it though. Yeah. So the rich outdoors pretty much everywhere and the podcast, wherever you find it. Um, but yeah, appreciate it. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, Cody, thanks for coming on, man. We'll have to talk again soon. For sure, buddy, and good luck. I'm uh, curious how you do this year in Idaho. All right, thanks, man. I'll be definitely uh, letting you know. You'll be you'll be hearing my screams from Montana. <laughs> <laughs> perfect, perfect, man. All right, buddy. All right, see you, dude. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.